If you can repeat with me, praise be Jesus Christ. Praise be Jesus Christ. Now and forever. Now and forever. Praise be Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Now and forever. Now and forever. Praise be Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Now and forever. Now and forever. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. Mama, as we kneel before your son Jesus, I ask you to pronounce our names to Jesus. Pronounce our spouse's name, our children's names, our grandchildren's names. Pronounce any relatives that are near and far from you. Pronounce our whole family tree, Mama, through your immaculate heart. There is no more beautiful sound in heaven than your voice, more beautiful than the singing of angels. And nothing moves your son's heart, Jesus, on that altar than hearing your voice, Mama. Thank you, Mama. Take us by the hand now. We give you our hearts that we might receive your openness to the grace present tonight. We just wish to say fiat, let it be done unto me tonight. Say with me now, holy God, holy mighty one, Holy Immortal One, have mercy on us and on the whole world. Holy God, Holy Mighty One, Holy Immortal One, have mercy on us and on the whole world. Holy God, Holy Mighty One, Holy Immortal One, have mercy on us and on the whole world. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Please be seated. If we can put our left hand in our right hand like this, and just close your eyes, resting one hand on top of the other. Please notice how weak that hand on top is. And how gently the hand on the bottom holds it. That hand on the bottom does not ask that hand on top to be strong. There's a warmth. It's as if the hand on top was created to learn to rest on top of that hand. And prayer is about learning to rest in God. 
learning to rest in our true identity as favorite sons and daughters, and in the security of the Father's house. So Lord, with your permission, I need to leave because you know you're the only one needed here. I know you're here. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. To give you a little background of, of before um, the topic of how to become, how to no longer live as an orphan, which I'm talking obviously, for some maybe literally, but some emotionally, and I'll, we'll get into that in a few moments. I had to learn this because I grew up in a family, though I had a beautiful example of marriage. My father and my mother gave us a beautiful witness of the married life. My dad used to call my mother Pichona, and she would, he would say, Pichona, and then my mother would say, Pichon, like their terms of endearment, and she would back. So we had a beautiful witness, an example of that. But my father was the adult, was the son of an alcoholic. At the age of seven in Peru, he arrived home and he saw his dad literally lying on the ground, dead, drunk. My father, as a two-year-old, was molested. And on this side of eternity, he never worked through those wounds. And my mother, and both have, are now home, she was a very cold woman. She was a very beautiful woman, physically attractive, a, a knockout. But she was very cold. When I would arrive home from the seminary, and I would say, hello, mom, and I wanted to kiss her, she would say, oh, honey, be careful, I got a new hairdo. So I had to kind of make sure I had to kiss her in a way that wouldn't un, you know, move her hair anyway. I mean, they both did the best they could. My father was bo a boxer as a young man, very strong. And when he would be upset or explode, he would beat me. In fact, today, some of the things that happened to me is what you see in mixed martial arts. I was beaten that bad. And I would have been put today in a foster home. So from the age of 14 to 20, I rebelled. I lost my purity at the age of 14. And up to the age of 20, I lived a crazy life. I should have been put in jail at the age of 18. The police caught me living a crazy life. And I have visited people in jail who did the stuff I did. But the police decided not to take me to jail. And at the age of 20, for a reason that I still, he knows, Jesus knows, I have this huge encounter with Jesus Christ in my bedroom. But there was a lot of stuff to work through, a lot of anger, a lot of hurt, a lot of issues of abandonment, feeling orphaned. My home didn't feel like a home. No one talked, no one shared. We didn't know each other. We weren't allowed to feel and share our feelings. So you had to act strong. Our dinner tables didn't have a lot of joy. 
My father was, would be what, what is called, and if there's any alcoholics here that have gone through the program of AA, he was a dry drunk. Though he didn't drink, but he had the personality of an alcoholic. Explosive when he exploded, very quiet when he was angry, he gave everybody the silent treatment. So home life was about like walking on pins and needles. Made home very uncomfortable. As a young man, I cursed our house. I hated it. Now I praise you for what he allowed. So I want to begin with sharing what should home life be in God's plan biblically. In Sirach chapter 3 verse 9, there's a little description, and I'm going to describe what it means. Because some of us maybe lived in homes like this. Maybe we weren't beaten, but maybe your father was an alcoholic. Or maybe your father was a workaholic and he wasn't home. Or maybe you saw fighting at home, which children should never see fighting at home between mom and dad because children don't understand. Children's hearts, your heart, my heart, when we were little, very sensitive. Just to give you an idea, and I have to remind myself what it is like to be a child when I was seven years old, my next-door neighbor, Susan Ward, told me, my father is going to make an airplane. You're going to be the pilot, and I'm going to be the stewardess. In my seven-year-old mind, I was going to be flying a plane. I remember telling her, is the plane ready? Not yet, in two weeks. So in my little imagination, I could see myself flying a plane. Now, how the plane was going to be made? Supposedly, we were going to use the engines of lawnmowers. But look at the innocence of children. But that wasn't the case at home. In the Bible, in the book of Sirach, chapter 3, verse 9, it describes this idea that parents are supposed to hand down, and I'll, I'll give you what that means, a blessing. A blessing which is basically five ways where your heart as a child should have been experiencing, tasting, overwhelmed by love. Five ways of experiencing love. And you find this in the book of Genesis chapter 48 when Jacob blesses the sons of Joseph. Or in Mark chapter 10, verse 16, when Jesus gives a blessing to children, you find these details that I'm going to give in a few moments. But let me read Sirach chapter 3, verse 9. For a father's blessing strengthens the house of the children. Now, we're not talking about a strong physical construction, but the personality, the heart. Our relationship with our dad is as important and should have been as important and influential as the skeleton is to the body. Without a skeleton, I don't care if you run as fast as Jesse Owens, one of those great runners of the past. If you don't have a skeleton, you won't move us an inch, you'll fall. So if our heart didn't, wasn't settled and didn't have a close relationship with daddy, You're going to be limping. 
you're not going to be well balanced because the father's relationship, what a masculinity and a fatherhood does, it gives sons and daughters courage. And we need that. Otherwise, we wouldn't have needed it. Now, let me ask you a question. When you think of your dad, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Just close your eyes for a moment. Please close your eyes for a moment. What's the first word that comes? You don't have to say it, please. But I do want you to tell Jesus, who's right there. And how about your mother? What's the word, first word that comes about your mother? Let's go back to Sirach 3.9. For a father's blessing strengthens the house of the children, but a mother's curse uproots their foundations. See, family life, healthy family life, is about nurturing the heart in five ways. And that's the blessing. I'm going to get into what those five ways are. Because the geography of family life is ultimately about the heart. And emotionally speaking, and I've bounced this back with psychiatrists and psychologists, that the heart is the sexual organ. Are we shocked that we have such a state of disorder and confusion about sexuality? That all cries out. And I've worked with a lot of people who struggle with same-sex attraction, those that want to change sex, those that don't even know, and they all have issues with mom and dad that they never looked at. Every single one. So what is this blessing that you, we should have received in his plan? Because this is what would have created in us a healthy human nature. And God, this is St. Thomas Aquinas, repeat with me, grace builds on nature. God builds on the heart. God didn't want you and I to be angels. We're not angels. We have a human heart. And he loves our human heart. He had one. He was God made man. So what is this blessing when it's given in the Bible? You find these traits, a lot of affection, a lot of beautiful human touch. We need human touch. We needed affection. We needed a lot of kisses. We needed to be tickled. I know a woman that her, the only time she touched her dad was when he was in his coffin, dead. That's how little affection she got. And she told me when she was growing up, she used to hug herself in bed by herself. And she said, Father, I needed someone's arms to touch me, even if they were my own. A lot of loving, healthy, pure human touch. 
Second element of the blessing, words that give life, words that teach, words that affirm, words that help to explain who we are, words that give life. And you find, see, we don't know the power of the word. The Jews knew it. In fact, the Jews, when they made a decision between people or nations, they just pronounced it. They didn't sign anything. That's the way they made what's called a covenant. The book of Sirach, chapter 3, not Sirach, excuse me, James, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, it speaks about the power of the tongue to do good or to hurt. The question I want to ask is, did we hear the word often, I love you? Women, my sisters, did you hear your daddy call you my princess or something like that? Or, or young men or men here, I'm proud of you. And if they were wrong, did we hear, I'm sorry, forgive me. So you have affection that touches the heart, not just the body. Words that give life, that are affirming, life-giving, and you'll even find that, for example, in Ezekiel 37, when God tells Ezekiel to prophesy an Israel that looks like these dead bones come to life because he speaks words of life to those dead bones. But if we didn't hear words that were affirming or it's time to spend time where our hearts were explained, so far, if you didn't get those two, your little human heart already felt orphaned. Children spell love, T-I-M-E, time. Did my mom and my dad spend a lot of time with me? Time doing what? To talk. Time to talk about things of the heart. Was I noticed? I have an aunt that I talk about her in every retreat, and I'm going to do it right now. Her name was Aunt Tula. Do you know what baseboards are? They're the bottom of, next to the wall, right? Baseboards? We used to call her Inspector of Baseboards. She was so short. But Aunt Tula was a giant. When my mother died, all the brothers and sisters of my family, at the same time, we didn't even plan it. We all said, Aunt Tula should have been our mother. My Aunt Tula one day noticed me. I was 12 years old. There was a bully named Timothy Worley that wanted to duke it out with me. And he never lost. So Philip was a little nervous. And the, 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 um, the news on the streets in the school was Timothy Worley wants to duke it out with Philip. See, being Hispanic, you already had a, a strike against you many years ago. So I had to gain respect by learning how to fight. So the word was out, Timothy Worley, one of the bullies of the school, wants to duke it out. So I came home the day before my birthday, 
and I was quiet. I was afraid. I was nervous. My Aunt Tula saw me come in the door. First thing she said was, she used to call me Feliberto. Feliberto. Why are you so quiet? Tomorrow's your birthday. You should be happy. She noticed. She sensed that my silence was full of worry, anxiety. So she asked me. We should have been noticed to that level, that they could read even our body language and then ask us, how are you feeling? What's wrong? And that's the type of things that I'm talking about time, where your heart is allowed to express itself, the deepest parts. And for that age, as a 12-year-old, the world felt like it was crushing me. Oh no, I have to fight the bully of the school. And she asked me, she noticed, and I told her. So my question to you tonight is, did you have time, and that's the way children feel love, that mom and dad took time to notice us and they asked us question and they helped us to put words to our feelings because a healthy home life is one that is allowed to feel and you share what you're feeling. Your heart pumps. When you share your feelings, that's called intimacy. And then if you can share your feelings at home, you feel at home. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to act out like everything is really hunky-dory. But you can be transparent. You can be a child. We can be vulnerable. One young girl in Cuenca, Ecuador, on a retreat, after my retreat to this big movement in Ecuador, the father said, Father, can I have a counseling session with you, with my wife and my three or four daughters? I said, sure. We started the counseling session very late at night. She raised her little hand and said, Padrecito. That's the way they call you priest. Padrecito. Can I say something? And children are always very honest. Parents might say, they might go around, you know, how you doing? I'm doing great. Life is good. When you dig a little deeper, it stinks. But children, they get to the point. And this, the little daughter said to daddy, daddy, I'll bet you don't even know my favorite color. Now for a seven-year-old, in her little language, her little heart, she was telling her daddy, you do not know me. So a question I might ask you is, did your dad know your favorite color? That's usually important to women, especially to little girls. The fourth element of the blessing, and notice this all has to do about feeding, nurturing the heart. Because when a child is nourished on a heart level, from childhood they can move to adolescence and then to adulthood. Otherwise, they enter into vocations like walking wounded, unresolved stuff. I'll describe afterward how an orphan feels. 
The fourth element is, if my mom and dad were prayerful, that means they're connected with him, he begins to teach them to see, to notice, to know me, and they are involved in my life. They give me time, they're affectionate, they speak words that are living, life-giving. Then I feel like they're in my corner and they help me discern, figure out, so why have I been put on this world? What's my vocation? What's my call? I feel like they're in my corner. They're my greatest fans. One, one priest that I met in Spain, I was giving a retreat to priests, told me he wanted to meet with me after the retreat because he said, I need about two, two days of counseling with you. He told me his father walked out at the age of two. He used to cut out in magazines faces of men and he, as an adult, pasted them on a piece of, like, you know, a board trying to imagine what his daddy might have looked like. This is a grown man, a priest. One young woman told me she's one of the holiest women that I know. Her mother never called her, and please, I ask you forgiveness for what I'm about to say, but this is the truth. Her mother never called her by her name. The first time she slept in a bed, it was in college. The teachers, she lived up north, by the way, Midwest. The teachers really looked into her situation because they noticed she came to school in the winter barefooted. Her father was an alcoholic and blind. And her mother would only call her, and please forgive what I'm about to say, but it's true. Bastard bitch. That's all she heard. Never her name. And God has so worked with her and healed her that I have her photograph next to my computer at home. She was one of the most motherly women that I know. She's a saint. And I ask myself, and it's a good question to ask Jesus, who are you as God that you can restore a heart? Because in Psalm 27 verse 10 it says, even if my mother and my father abandon me, and what I'm talking about is different levels of abandonment, you will take me up. You will begin to parent me, father me, mother me. Before coming, the day before flying here, I had a counseling session with a young woman. Dad's an alcoholic. And she, she described to me a memory that she had, and we did what's called healing of memories, where you go back with Jesus to the memory. 
where she was in the front lawn, probably around seven, eight years old. Her dad, she told me he was not drunk at that moment. And she was laying in the grass and he would kick her. Just kick her and kick her. I said, did you ever tell anybody about this? She said, no. Did you ever talk to Jesus about this? No. Have you ever told anybody about this? No. So she had tried to be strong with this horrific experience of being literally kicked over and over again by her dad. And the fifth element is based on Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 to 7, where it speaks about that sometimes God has to discipline us. And sometimes in family life, there are tense moments where parents have to correct their children. But there's a way of correcting. My dad beat me. But there's a way of correcting that you have to talk about situations that are tense. But in God's perspective, they can come out even a blessing. Even the tense moment can be a grace because things were communicated, things were understood, and they can bring you closer together. They don't have to separate you. And God, that's the way he disciplines us. And God would have wanted that for us. Tense moments with your children or tense moments with your parents and my parents, that they be life-giving. Could you close your eyes for a moment, please? How many of us, and please do not look, don't open your eyes. How many of us have had memories come to mind? Raise your hand, please. Just raise them high, please. How many of us, as you're recalling those memories, feel pain? Raise your hands, please. Okay, I want you to tell Jesus about it right now and look at him. You can tell him everything. You and I do not have to be strong with the Lord. The Trinity is our true family. It's a healthy family. There's no addictions, there's no fighting. There's only celebration. They love looking at us, they love forming us, they love forgiving us. God's name, as we discussed in my homily this morning and yesterday with Moses in the burning bush, I am, literally means, this is a rabbinical tradition, I am here for you. God is in that tabernacle, in that sanctuary for you and for me. And we have to leave, and that's reality, by the way. We need to learn how to knock on that door and enter in our true home and leave what is making us fearful, angry, frustrated, discouraged, what makes us over, feel overwhelmed. Now, by the silence that I'm sensing in the air, I can tell 
a lot, some stuff has been stirred up. And I want to recommend tonight, or before tomorrow if you can, or sometime, write a letter to your dad or your mom, even if they're deceased, and read it to Jesus. He's not bound by time and space. But be brutally honest. Now let me describe, you can open up your eyes now. So how does an orphan feel? Because to whatever degree we didn't receive the blessing, we were orphaned. Because it's that blessing, those five ways of experiencing your mind, I love you. And God's given us an appetite for love that's huge. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 11, that God has put into the heart of man the idea, the reality of a longing for the infinite. So our longing for love, to belong, to be known, to be understood, is infinite. Ultimately, he's the only one that can do it, by the way. But we don't know that when we're growing up. What's a heart looks like? What's it feel when you haven't been, when you haven't received? I'll give you some of the traits. You have to be strong. You don't share, you don't cry easily. One time as an 18 year old, a girlfriend broke up with me and I was crushed. And I was like this in front of an older brother. <coughs> and he said, what's wrong? And I said, nothing. Inside, my gosh, there were waterworks in me. Tears must have been coming through my nose, my ears, my toenails. But what's wrong? Nothing. How uncomfortable and not at home I must have felt that as an 18-year-old I couldn't say, I'm hurting, and start crying. No, over my dead body I was going to shed a tear. That's an orphan. You compare yourself with everybody. You're always comparing yourself with everybody. And you obviously, if you're comparing yourself with everybody, you feel less than everybody. You're hypersensitive. Someone in class laughs at something you say, you feel crushed and you maul over the thing. You chew, oh no, a girlfriend doesn't like me. Oh my gosh. You're not chosen on the team. In Spanish we say, te hundes en un vaso de agua. You drown in a glass of water. Small things, you drown. The world comes to an end. But they're really in reality small things because they're kept inside. So everything that's kept inside is really bigger than you. It becomes bigger than you. You need an adult to explain things, to listen to. You get it out into the light and it decreases in size. One that is orphaned, very common, they fall into sexual sins like that. Masturbation for young boys is common. 
Because if you're not at home at home, you feel lonely at home. Masturbation is very common, which is often the real issue is really loneliness. And since you don't have a lot of joy because you don't know who you are, and you don't have a lot of joy, and this is now Fulton Sheen, a soul that doesn't have a lot of joy, a soul that grew up in a house that didn't have a lot of joy and laughter, you have to somehow manufacture something. And it's usually you fall into the arms of sexual gratification. When I was growing up, I didn't know why. I, I would see proving young women and they would be dating these guys that looked 15, 16 years old, older. And I remember my twin and I, we were 15 years old, we were going on our first New Year's Eve dance. Now we knew we had a lot of competition. We were 15 year old kids. And these girls that were gonna be at this party were dating guys that were 28, 29 years old. Now I know they are looking for daddy. That's why they're going with guys that are, could be their fathers. But we didn't understand that then. So I told my brother, we need to look older. <laughs> so I put on aftershave, I mean, I didn't even, you know, there was not even peach fuzz on me. But I had to wear aftershave lotion. And I said to my brother, we need to look older. He said, how are we going to do that? I said, don't smile. That's what I said. You know what happens when you're an orphan, you make up who you are because you don't really know who you are. Since you don't know who you are, you can't be comfortable in your own skin, so you fake it. So I had to make up who I was. So my twin, identical twin, seven minutes apart, we're dancing with these two girls, and I'm trying to impress them like you can't imagine. I'm doing more moves than John Travolta. You remember him? I'm doing salsa, cumbia, I mean, I'm doing moves that probably have never even been invented. I'm trying to impress these girls, because that's what you do. You have to impress. So these girls, these sisters that we're dancing with, ask us, how old are you? Now, my brother was very honest, good-hearted. And I tried to, I was the wise guy. And my brother said the truth, but I said at the same time. He said 15, and I said 18. Now, we're both identical twins. <laughs> and I remember I elbowed him on the side. That's an orphan's acting. You fake it. You make up who you are because you don't know who you really are. Women who have been orphaned emotionally often dress very provocatively. Sexy, they have to look sexy. Someone's eyes have to look at me because daddy never took time to look at me. Very common. And they're always comparing themselves with other girls. What they're dressing, what they're not wearing. It's like a competition. And men, you try to be, my thing is I try to be the tough guy. So I took karate. I wanted to be a, t a professional tennis player, so I worked my head off, inventing. 
And you know what else I did? There was a tennis player that I liked, Guillermo Vilas. He had long hair, so I grew myself my hair long. I wanted to look like Guillermo Vilas. I even tried to walk like him on the tennis court. Guillermo Vilas didn't even know I existed. But look how much my heart was craving someone's attention. In fact, my dad, the only time he saw me playing tennis, he was walking 60 yards away. I was, I was a junior tennis player. He was walking 60 yards away with a dog. And the dog happened to stop to go to the bathroom. And my dad, I noticed it, 60 yards away, turned around, and for the first time he saw me, he went to one of my practices. Because he never went to my, my, my tennis matches or my tournaments, or if I got trophies, he never, I used to sit alone in the table. And they would call my name, and there was no one else there to clap. Everybody else had family, cousins, clapping and all this. I would wake up, get my trophy, and sit back down. And my dad happened because the dog went to the bathroom to turn around. And 60 yards away, I noticed he was noticing. So I tried to hit some incredible shots to try to impress him. Look how much this orphaned heart craved. Even the look of attention 60 yards away. Now, many do it in many ways. They have to have a GPA, you know, 12.6. <laughs> when the grading scale is what, four, right? And some are blessed to have it more. What I've described briefly, my dear sisters and brothers, is an orphaned heart. And to one degree or another, most people have it and they feel homeless. And they're not known. A woman, I was giving a retreat in Gibraltar, which is a little peninsula, about 20 miles away from Morocco. A woman said to me, Father, I'm gonna share with you something I've never shared. She was in her 70s. Never shared this with anybody. When my mother had me, Father, she didn't want to take care of me, so she gave me over to my grandmother. My grandmother didn't want to have me, so she gave me back to my mother. Now this is a five, six-year-old. My mother didn't want to take care of me, so she dropped me off. A house of prostitution. And I was raised in a brothel. And she began to describe what that was like. She was crying so hard, wailing, not crying, wailing, screaming, with her head on my shoulder, sobbing, not sobbing, screaming. At the age of 70-some years old, she finally felt comfortable 
to share the absolute tragedy of her childhood. She lived with that pain her whole life. And finally, at the age of 70, she could finally feel comfortable to share that. How about our heart? How about your heart? Were we allowed to talk and share at home? Did I know in my father I could share anything? Or with my mother anything? Or there are there's many secrets? Because the difference with him, them, the Trinity, there's no secrets. And this is the way I began to learn about how different living at home with my God, who is my home, is. When I entered the seminary, and we're going to finish with prayer. When I entered the seminary, I sat in the front pew in the seminary chapel. We're going to have a day of prayer. And as I'm kneeling, and I knew Jesus was going to be exposed, I heard in my heart, my son, get two handkerchiefs and return. So I went to get my two handkerchiefs. In those days, I still wore Levi jeans. So I put one handkerchief in my right pocket and one handkerchief in my left pocket. The seminary, Mount St. Mary's, was packed full. And I said to Jesus, you know, Jesus, I don't mind crying. And I don't mind crying in front of all the brother seminarians. But let's not make a scene. Why have you asked me to bring two handkerchiefs? Isn't one enough? And then I heard these words. My son, one handkerchief is for you and one is for me. And I began with him this time. And that's the difference it's the Lord who begins to take you and you face events in your life or present events even, no longer alone. And you don't have to be strong, but in fact, very vulnerable, very transparent. And every scene that he took me, it was re-experiencing, reliving, with Jesus, the beatings of my dad, the reaction of Jesus in my experience was so strong, so overwhelming, 
the way it affected him, how personally he took it in seeing me literally beaten to shreds, that I was no longer aware of my dad. <coughs> His love was so great that I wept and wept and wept, no longer for the pain of how he noticed, how he understood, and I was overwhelmed by his love. And I got heaven's perspective. God was having the last word, not the wounds, not the pain, not the abandonment. And literally, I was no longer aware of my dad. I was tsunamied by the love of God. And that's what it means, one example that I give you, to be parented by God. God has the last word. What we experienced or are going through isn't just a limited human time experience, but heaven penetrates. And we are overwhelmed by heaven. I want you now to just close your eyes. And I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. Now, please tell the Lord, what was home life like? Was there communication? Did mom and dad fight in front of you? Did we come up from a divorced home? If we grew up with alcoholism, your life at home was a living hell. Because to live with an alcoholic is hell. I work with alcoholics, by the way. Or did my mom and my dad, did one of them die early, which is no one's fault? Did one of them commit suicide? That's a tragedy. But I want you to know that the house, your real house, was not... 611 Elm Street, whatever your home address was as a child. But your real address is in that tabernacle. And I want you to ask Our Lady to take you by the hand and see yourself at whatever age. You might be five years old, six years old, a teenager. But there's a reason why. I want you to see yourself going to that tabernacle. If you are less than five years old, raise your hand, please. Try to imagine. Raise your hand, please. Less than five. Now, there is a reason why you see yourself as a little boy or little girl. Something happened in your life at that age, and the Holy Spirit wants to address that little boy or that little girl. Now, there's someone here I'm sensing that you don't want to. You're dragging. He wants to pull you. And you don't want to address it. You're pulling away because you are afraid to address this. If you see yourself or you have the interior movement to run away as Jesus or Mary wants to take you there, raise your hand, please. 
Okay, you're confirming what God's showing me now. Now I want you to tell Jesus who's on the altar, why don't you want him to take you to your house? Just look at Jesus, please, on the altar. What happened? For some of us, it might be, I didn't want to go home to an empty house. I didn't want to be abused. But in this family, the Trinity, you can tell them what happened. And Our Lady is going to be waiting for you at the entrance of the house. And she's going to tell, we're doing a meditation, by the way. She's going to tell Jesus, it's Susie, or whatever your name is. It's Mary, it's Johnny. And there's great joy to see you. Now, I want you to tell the Lord, what was it like when you came home? Was there joy? Was there celebration? Was there cookies made for you, hot chocolate? Or did you go into an empty home? What was it like to come home? Tell the Lord about it. Again, in this family, your true family, the Trinity, they're interested in knowing. So what was it like? What happened? Now, what we're doing is we're trying to use our imagination. And even if you can't imagine Jesus and Mary there, I want you to talk to them because they are there. In the tabernacle and, of course, on the altar, there is Jesus. But wherever Jesus is, Our Lady is there. So tell them, what was home life like? But I want you to be brutally honest. You don't have to be strong now. I want that little boy or that little girl to speak. If your father was an alcoholic, I want you to tell the Lord what it was like to live with an alcoholic. If you saw your father with other women, what was it like seeing that trauma of seeing your dad's eyes on someone else other than your mom, or vice versa, your mom looking at someone else. If you ever walked in on one of your parents' infidelity, or you kind of knew it, I want you to tell the Lord about that, because children should be, they should see mom and dad almost like God. I know a little boy that thought his dad created the world, literally. That's healthy for a little boy. Once again, in this house, your heart is important. Every detail about who you are and what happened to you is very important. Please look at the Lord, not me. Look at Jesus. They want to know, so what was it like at home? What happened? 
was my mother and dad affectionate? It's good to tell them now. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, our divine brother, fill those areas of our heart as we're opening up our heart to you. Replace and fill all those spaces that we lacked. Mother Mary, move the the axis of our heart to be receptive. Now, if you could please close your eyes again. Do not be curious. If not, you have to confess that tomorrow. How many of us have felt pain for some of those memories? Raise your hand, please. Just raise your hand. You have felt pain. That's a good sign. That means your heart is alive. Okay. Please open up your eyes. We're about to finish. One of our sisters who was exhausted, she gives retreats. She was sexually abused and grew up with, she was ex sexually abused by her father and her brother. She grew up in a home of alcoholism. She's a miracle. She now gives retreats and has a support group for girls and women who have been sexually abused. She's incredible. She told me one day she was exhausted and she, she was across in the airport. She was falling asleep. She was so tired. And she saw a man with his nine-year-old Down syndrome boy sitting in his lap, and he was just trying to do all in his capability to make his son feel comfortable. And she was so moved as she saw this father fathering this special needs little boy. At one point, the little boy fell asleep in his arms, and he started drooling. That's common with Down syndrome children. And he slobbered on the dad. And the dad took the slobber and just wiped himself with it. So his son wouldn't even be woken up. So he could be resting in his arms. Sister was so filled with the example of fatherhood that before she got on the plane, she left him a little note and thanked him because she said he so represented God the Father. God accepting us with our drooling, our brokenness, our needs. 
not feeling ashamed for us. There's no sense of shame. You don't have to be what you're not. Just let me hold you. If we were on a weekend retreat, we would, I would give you meditations and scriptures, but I know we don't have that. But I, what I do humbly recommend, my beautiful brothers and sisters tonight, if you can or have time before tomorrow, is to write a letter to your father or your mother. And, and hopefully at some time you can read it to them in front of Jesus. The difference is that this is your true home. Where God is. We finally have a perfect home. There's no fighting, there's no addictions, there's no abandonment. It's perfect. And I have discovered, and I will finish with a true story, how I met God the Father. One of my earliest experiences. You know, what does Mary smell like when you sense her? What does she smell like? Everybody knows that. What? It roses, you're right. When God the Father makes himself very present, he's revealed himself to me in the smell of a otherworldly incense. Incense. And I was on a retreat with a very holy man, and he said to me, your time has come to meet God the Father. And as I was sitting in the pew in front of the Lord, I start feeling myself like I, as if I was two years old being rocked back and forth. And I hear the voice of God the Father. And every time I heard him speak, I would wail so loud and crying that if there would have been people living or sleeping in another house next door, I would have woken them up. So much did his sound of his voice stuff me with a sense of belonging, stuff me with a sense of the Father's delight, stuff me with I'm yours and you're mine. And this is what I heard once upon a time. The Father was going to tell me a bedtime story. Now, my dad never told me a bedtime story, but it's interesting, Jesus, what your father and my father decided to do He met me in an area that my dad had never done. My dad didn't know how to tell me a bedtime story. So it's interesting, Jesus, that your father, who I know is my father, as I call him Papa, decided that night to tell me a bedtime story. And he kept repeating once upon a time. And every time I heard that, I would go into half an hour of wailing. But it wasn't of pain. Is that my little human condition couldn't take more love. And then I heard, once upon a time, there was a Philip. The story was about me. I cried so loud, I, I really mean this, I thought I was going to die of love. That I was really going to die, and I'm not exaggerating, die. And then I heard these words. Once upon a time, there was a Philip, my only Philip. For God, we are as if we were his only ones because of Jesus. 
No one can take your place in front of the Blessed Sacrament. No one can take your place of the way they look at you. It'd be like if I were to say to you, which of your children would you say, I'll take you, but I won't take you? No one is, every, there's no way to replace any one of them. Imagine God's love. But this time with God the Father, he took me to other scenes in my life. In fact, I would like to share with you, not now, he even explained why my name is Philip. I, don't li I never liked my name Philip. Now I love my name Philip. I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's to those details that God the Father has explained. And this is what a father does. He gets into his heart of his son or daughter and explains the mystery of who they are so they'll know who they are. You're his favorite. You're his only John or Susan or Mary or Carolyn. His only one. But to hear him say that, you'll almost die of love. So tomorrow we're going to talk about, so how does God begin to fix it? How does he bring us from the stage of orphanage or homeless to himself, our true home? Most of the world is orphaned. That's why we have such crisis in sexual identity today or addictions. It's off the charts. Before we finish, you will find, and I've heard this is the way you do this at St. Sebastian's, some little baskets at the exits. Yes, we live on total divine providence. Maria, whose rosaries I'm selling in the back, Maria told me one day, Father, it's time for you to tell the people what your community needs. You always talk about us, the poor, but you never tell them about what you need. So now I'm going to tell you what I need because I'm going to follow with the voice of Jesus through Maria. We're building, we started building the house of the sisters. You know, I live in the, in the Amazon. In the Amazon, there's anacondas. I've killed tarantulas. One of the brothers saw a puma running across our land. He killed a venomous snake with fangs in our kitchen. We had a rat that we used to call the missus. <laughs> La señora. So basically, it's very unsafe and dangerous to live in a house that's not completed. So now I need money to help complete the house of the sisters. I'm their spiritual father. One of the traits of a father is to provide. So we need money to help build and finish the construction of the sisters. In fact, all our rooms are taken up. We're getting more vocations. We have nowhere to put them. So we need to finish the construction 
You know what I mean? Now. So, every one of the baskets that was, the money's taken up this week is going to go for the, to finish the construction of the sister's house. If you would like to make out a check, it's made out to our nonprofit organization called Family of Jesus Healer. If you want to pay with bills, yes, we do take dollars. Okay. And that will go directly to Peru. It will be, it will be um, wired from our bank account of the nonprofit organization. And then you'll get a, you can get a letter at the end, well, especially if you write a check. I'm sorry, cash is hard. Uh, but that you gave to our community, okay? So, um, and every night that will be taken up. In the back of the church, we'll be selling again some bracelets. This time, I didn't sell them this weekend at the masses. They're made by Jesus. We only have a few left. Jesus is 20-some years old, totally blind, and he makes them in the dark. And that he's the main breadwinner for his family. Imagine being blind and he makes them in the dark. And Maria, I don't know how many rosaries I've left, but I'm, I don't want to, I'm trying to sell all of them before I leave so I can give them, so she can have, we can help pay off her apartment. She's the one who was raped as a teenager. Okay. Uh, tomorrow I'll have Mass at 8, followed by a talk on spirituality. How do we know we're going in the right direction? Are we getting, you know, any relationship, whether it be with God or with human beings, it's never in a standstill. We're either getting closer or separating. It's never standstill. Why? We're living. We're alive. Those pews have been like this for many years. I don't think they've moved too much because they're not alive. But we're not like those pews. Now, and I'm now talking to parents. If some stuff has come to your mind that maybe you need to ask your son or your daughter forgiveness, it might be good that soon you do that with your son or your daughter. Or a son and a daughter, maybe you need to ask your parents forgiveness. I was reconciled with my dad two weeks before I entered the seminary many years ago. I'll share that this week. Now, I want to finish with the beginning of the kidnapping and the first lesson that I learned. There are no words to describe the horror my heart felt as I was against my will, forced at gunpoint out of my truck and put my hood in my, over my head and beaten with guns. They beat me. A guy came and he, from a distance, he ran, and on a, the speed of running, he hit me with his gun again. And I was told to put my head on the man's lap to my left in the back seat. As a man, that really goes against your grain to put your head on the lap of a man. It was grotesque to do that. 
But they told me, if you move, we'll kill you on the spot. My heart was beating out of my, 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 heart, out of my chest. My thoughts were racing. There's no other words than I was terrorized. Every, every, every atom in my being was oppressed by fear. I was in shock. And I remember I, I, I was telling myself because they sped off. They were driving very fast. We, we ran every red light. I was surrounded. There were two cars. So I had nine guys against me. High, and I saw even some of the guns, they were firearms that you find in war. I remember seeing an AK-47. And they kept threatening the whole way. You move and we kill you. As long as I was not accepting that this has happened, I'm kidnapped, the terror was destroying me. But the moment I said to Jesus, this is happening, I am kidnapped, you've allowed this. And every time I've said yes to you, has prepared me to say yes now, and I say fiat, yes to this, what he had allowed, not willed, because he did not want them to commit this hideous crime of, of, of shooting me to death. Because that, that's what they were planning, to execute me. As, as, as long as I delayed saying fiat, yes, to what he had allowed, I was crushed by the event. The moment I said to Jesus, Fiat, yes, to what you have allowed. And when I finally said in my heart, they didn't know I was praying, but I yelled it to him. You remember Jesus, fiat. And I offered him my life, because in my community, we take a fourth vow. If God wills it, we'll, we'll offer up our lives as martyrs. And the moment that I said fiat, and the moment we say fiat, yes, to what God is allowing, and I wouldn't want that experience for anyone. Once we say fiat, yes, to what God allows, big or small during the day, then his hands are released and he pours out grace. When I said fiat, I remember I was shocked. My heart wasn't beating out of my chest, my thinking was clear. I was free from terror, fear, anxiety. I was calm, fresh as a cucumber. Quicker than that. It took a second, not even a second. The moment I accepted what he had allowed and I said, fiat, I was still. Let's apply that to daily life, the first lesson. The more we complain, the more we try to push away pain, 
The more we try to get over things on our own, the more we are in a bad mood over situations, because that means you're complaining, murmuring, why is this happening? Why is this? Why is this? Whatever. As long as we do that, God's hands are tied. He can't help us. And we're orphaned. It's up to us to figure out, to fix it. And the situation overwhelms us. The moment we say fiat, yes, to what you have allowed, not necessarily willed, he leaps out of the tabernacle or inside of you and he begins to address the situation and you and I begin to have peace. That's the first lesson of the kidnapping. Everything that God allows, everything that God allows is allowed with a divine purpose to teach us we need him. He's our home. He's our security. He's the strong one, not us. And the moment we say yes, he has, we give him permission to invade the situation. There's some of us here that haven't accepted things that he allowed in our past. And we still live out of that pain. My father lived out of that pain as a seven-year-old, his father dying and leaving him orphaned, dead drunk. My father died in his 73 years old. He never, never addressed that. My father was a very angry man his whole life. By the way, I hope I can tell you this. My dad appeared to me to tell me when he arrived in heaven. He was in purgatory 21 years. I'll tell you about it later. Oh, God's been good. He's the best. He's the best. I wouldn't trade anything he has allowed in my life. All has turned out beyond my wildest dreams. Say with me now. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Once again, I thank you for your generosity. It's for the sister's house to finish. The rosaries of Maria and the praises of Jesus in the back. Thank you so much. We will now repose Jesus. Okay, if we can kneel, please. And tomorrow, confessions at 6. There's a special, 2,000 for one. You won't find a deal anywhere like that. And then tomorrow we talk about, so how does God begin to fix all this? and bring us home, okay.